Hello, Grace Church. Good morning. How you guys doing? Well, welcome to Grace Church, especially if you're new. Welcome online campus. Uh, my name is Scott, if we've never met. One of the pastors here at Grace. Um, we are in week eight of our series on the Gospel of Mark. If you need a Bible, raise your hands, and my really good friends, Miran and Patty, will hand you a Bible. Um, we're in Mark 3, and we're in verses 20 through 35. Uh, she just gave me some fruit. Um, it's normal. It's normal around here. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Josh uh, talked about uh, the verse, obviously, the verses right before our scripture and our text today. Uh, but what had been happening was Jesus was, was constantly on the way, and he was going from one place to the next and, and preaching and teaching uh, the scriptures and, and the word of God and healing and performing miracles. And really what was happening was his fame was rising. People were hearing of uh, this Jesus of Nazareth, this new rabbi, and they wanted to know if it was real. They wanted to hear his words because they were different. He, if you remember, he spoke with power and authority, and, and that was just unreal for people, and it was really disrupting the religious order of the Jewish culture of that time, and so his fame was just rising. And so at the, uh, the verses that we read last week, um, prior to where we're at today, Jesus goes up on this hill and he calls his first followers that we know of as the disciples or the apostles. And he, he basically walks up on this hill and says, gather around. And what he's essentially doing is beginning something unique. And he's starting something very, very unique. And that's the first spiritual family of his closest followers. And he calls them closer. Also, one thing Josh talked about is he had this quadrant up on the screen. If you remember, I'm not going to make you go through that uh, thing again. If you're not a data nerd like me, I can't stand that stuff. But in the quadrants on the, on the upper right, if you remember, um, he was explaining that our culture here at Grace is kind of twofold. It's, it's high challenge and high invitation, right? It's high truth and high Grace, we want to invite people into the family of God, the faith community here at Grace. And then we just know, like our vision that we say is uh, we're, we're, this is a safe place to experience Jesus, but for imperfect people to grow, we just know that wherever you're at in your faith journey, that not, not only are you welcome here and we invite you in, but we know something to be true, that when we study God's word and when you draw closer to him, he changes you. And he does that through challenging you. And so we'll see that even more in these verses of, of Jesus calling his first followers closer. And then he ups the ante and things are about to get wild. And so today as we cover these verses, I want us as a church to be challenged in a way because we are called to something new. We are called to something different than we see in our everyday world and society and life. You and I are called to be something different, something countercultural. What we see often in our, in our culture, in our society, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, is we see a pull and a direction and, and, and a guidance by the world saying, we want you to be both individualistic and tribal. And what that does for us as a church, church is it causes us to live in silos or, or, or tribes and we become these fragmented group of people where Jesus is calling us to not just be 
a group of people where we talk about faith in the Bible, but a family, a new family, and a spiritual family. But the world gives us otherwise. We see it all over social media, media. The political divide is, is just crazy, even in the church. Racial divide keeps perpetuating, right? All these things that seem to want to pull us, pull us apart, Jesus is saying, come in closer. It's not easy as a Christ follower in 2022 to follow Christ. It's actually very difficult. There's a lot of temptations and traps that you and I have to deal with every day. And sadly, we see this in the church uh, in, especially in Western, in, in the Western world. There is a great temptation for us as a church to where when we read Scripture and we gather together as a church to just kind of keep it surface level, right? Let's not go too deep. Let's focus on the tips and tricks of, of the Bible and let's look at the Bible that way and let's call it God's wisdom. But the great danger of that is that as we and those aren't bad things, by the way. We want to know how to live, right? We want to know how to live together as Christians, as Christ followers. But the great danger is that is we could study that all day long. We could talk about it in our church sermons, and we can miss Jesus completely. It becomes void of the supernatural and spiritual power we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're all guilty of it. We've been guilty of it right here at Grace, of just like, here's, here's some self-help, guys. It's straight from the Bible. And you go about your week, and you're like, why are things changing, right? It's because we're missing Christ. And if we're really, really honest, we love Jesus. Like, I, I love Jesus. But if we're really honest, we love him most when life is going well and our lives are more comfortable, when things get bad, that's when we usually point the finger back at him, right? And so it's, it's difficult because we want any, I want a more comfortable life. But I desperately need Jesus and I desperately need you. We need each other. So whether it's news or Netflix or our social media devices or the great strength of the self-help tips in a, in a good sermon... We find ourselves being formed in the image of the world instead of in the image of God. And that is the great danger here. That is the great temptation here. A pastor named Steve Besner says, we, when we eliminate the supernatural from Christianity, it ceases to be a faith and it becomes a philosophy. And the great problem with that is, again, it's not bad to know how to live, right? And, and get the wisdom from Proverbs or the Psalms or wherever in Scripture but the problem is that is we can, we can completely focus on those things and miss Jesus completely. We miss him as a person and what he offers through knowing him, loving him, and knowing each other and loving each other. But people are missing it. To be human means to be a spiritual being, and people are missing and longing for spirituality. In preaching team this last Tuesday, we were talking about this statistic, this uh, statistic on Google. So the word, we're serving, this is a great day, by the way. It's like pancakes, bacon, babies. Like, this is a great day. <laughs> Someone outside was like, there's something in the air here. I'm like, yeah, it's bacon, bro. Like, <laughs> that's what's in the air. It's amazing. This statistic, bacon has been Googled 725 million times 
Like, that's a lot. That's amazing, because bacon is amazing. But the term, the word spirituality has been Googled 840 million times. So this is good news. Spirituality has surpassed bacon on the internet. Like, this is a good thing. It's a really good thing. But the trend, the temptation, is that we're blending Jesus in with all what the world offers as spirituality, right? Because we can go anywhere and feel good about ourselves and have this really feel-good spiritual moment, but it also can be void of the person of Jesus and what he has to offer through his kingdom. So I believe, we believe, that it's spirituality through life with Christ and life together. That is the only thing that satisfies us. And that's what our soul longs for. We ache for this. And sometimes without even realizing, without even knowing it. So today, we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to read it again in just a moment. But I want to look past what the natural world has to offer. Look past what, what, what this world has for us. And look at what Jesus is saying in the scripture So let's read this. I want to read 20 and 21 together and then pause. It says this. Then he, Jesus, went home. He called the disciples. And then he goes home. And then the crowd started gathering again together so that they couldn't even meet. Jesus and his his disciples, they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to get him. It says to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. So it's just funny because we read the Bible and, and these are just words to us. We're like, we weren't there, right, to witness it. But can you imagine? You're like the brother of Jesus or your family member. And we're like, what? Like, I knew he was special, but what on earth is he doing right now? Like, is he crazy? Is he out of his mind? It's a, it's a good question. Like, is he truly out of his mind here? I couldn't even eat. There's so many people. I would be hangry. I'd be so mad. Obviously, they didn't have salt and lime burritos, right? I'm convinced if they had burritos then, they would have eaten. Yeah, Jesus has been like, whatever. He's, be- he's better than me. That's me. I'm operating in the flesh. But this is what he does. And so um, they couldn't even eat. There's people all around. His family is questioning him. Like, is he crazy? Like, is Jesus out of his mind? Jesus is relentless, and he's passionate, and he's teaching, and he wants to do more and more ministry. Where I would be exhausted, you would be exhausted. He just keeps on going, and it doesn't stop there. And as his family wants to, like, get him, I believe out of compassion to, to, to you know, care for him, make sure he's okay, then People step in and the religious come after him. And this is what it says in 22. The scribes, which are teachers of the law, they came down from Jerusalem and they were saying, he, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul, or your version may say Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Let's pause here because this is a weird word. Is it wrong that I like this word though, Beelzebul? It's just kind of, it rolls off the tongue. It's, it feels good. Beelzebul, let me tell you what this is. Beelzebul is Satan. Side note, we have a neighborhood cat um, in the neighborhood. If you know me, I hate cats. I have named this cat Beelzebul. So the safety team knows if you see this cat, it, can't, it almost came in one day, and I, I, I didn't kick it, but I thought about it. I just kind of like did this. So if you see Beelzebul roaming around in the parking lot, my pastoral uh, prayerful advice is to just steer clear of that satanic being. That's all I want to say. I know some of you are cat lovers. They're all evil, but beside the point. 
Let's move on before I get in trouble. This word, Beelzebul, cool word, but it means Satan, so we can't like it. It is two old historic words sandwiched together. It's actually, the, the first part is Baal, and a lot of you fellow Bible nerds like me, in the Old Testament, you'll remember that that's the Old Testament rival God to Yahweh. Remember that. And that word means Lord or Master. The second part, or second word joined together is Zebul or Zebub, which is house or dwelling. And so they're subscribing this name and accusing Jesus of being possessed by the master of the house. That's what that means. Who is Satan? They even said by the prince of demons. That's Satan. So they're saying Jesus isn't just crazy. He's actually possessed by the devil. Like you can't get more insulting than that. These teachers of the law are looking at Jesus of Nazareth and all that he's doing and saying he's possessed by Satan. Now, can I tell you something? Whenever you hear a sermon and the preacher starts talking about Satan, and you're like, oh, we're getting all hocus pocus again. Like, I don't, you, we kind of glaze over. But here's what I want to say don't glance over this piece because the great deceiver of Satan, which is who he is, this, is, this world is his house. And the way he deceives you is by you ignoring who he is and how he operates in the world. He is real. There is a spiritual battlefield and war happening in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents, you at school, you at work. Satan is fighting to distract you away from Jesus. It is his goal. And so don't glaze over. Pay attention to what he is doing and the implications of what is happening here in this space. The reality is, this is his house. This world is Satan's house, and he is fighting for your attention, all right? Every, every time you're distracted away from Jesus, every time you're falling back into sin or addiction or anxiety or fear, whatever it may be, he is fighting for you. And Jesus comes nonetheless to fight for you back. But this is Satan. This is what he does. And it's Satan that causes to keep our Christianity surface level. That's what he does. He wants us to just focus on the tips and tricks, the good wisdom from the Bible, and not really pay attention to our relationship with Jesus and each other. That is what he wants us to do. It cause, he wants us to ingest these good news and then do nothing about it, to not seek God and each other. So this is what the religious leaders are doing. They're going to Jesus and saying, he's possessed. He's possessed by the devil. And Jesus constantly disrupts the religious. I can't stand religious people. I'm probably, I claim to be one of the least religious pastors in the world. I'm gonna put Josh on blast real quick because it's fun. But when he first came on staff, we were sitting in, I think it was a pastoral team meeting. One of the first things he says to me is he looks at me and goes, you don't look like a Christian. <laughs> like, what? I don't know how to take that as an insult. I'm going to pretend that's a compliment. I don't know how it's a compliment, but thank you very much. Some of you are like, yeah, you're right. He's right. Yeah, I'm out of here. Forget this. Now listen, the religious people constantly are getting mad at Jesus. Why? Because it's not about religion. 
Jesus is coming to do something new. That's what is, what is happening in these verses in this book that we've been reading now for eight weeks. Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God, and he's disrupting the man-made religious traditions and legalism that we always want to live under. He's doing something new here. So how does he respond? I love this. Let's read it together because he calls them over. He's like, here's my accusers, these really religious teachers. They're coming over saying, I'm possessed. So he says this. He called them over and he said to them in parables, a story, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if the house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he plunders his house. Jesus is giving a parable. He does that often when he responds. A parable is a story, and he's doing this to demonstrate a real spiritual truth. He's addressing his accusers, and I love this, because number one, there's elements to his argument or his rebuttal where it's very logical, right? He's saying, what you're accusing me of doesn't even make sense. Like if I'm possessed by the devil, why would I then cast out my demons? It's counterproductive if I'm trying to operate in that realm. If I'm Satan, I don't wanna cast them out. I wanna help them. So he's saying, it doesn't even make sense. And then he goes to this strongman analogy. And he subscribes a nickname to Satan. The strong man is Satan. And he's saying, you can't, you can't just go into the house of Satan and plunder what he's doing and mess up what he's doing. You have to bind Satan himself. So understand the, the natural argument he's making and then the supernatural implications that he's going for. Because what he's saying is like, I need to bind. I'm going to bound Satan and then that's how you plunder his house. But here's the beautiful news. He's already done it. Like that's literally what he did on the cross. He bound Satan, taking away and completely defeating him. He has defeated Satan completely and totally. And although we live in the house of Satan, right, this house of Beelzebub, this strong man's house, we seem to think we can fight it from the flesh. We can fight sin. We can fight Satan on our own. And Jesus is saying here, like, listen, you're not strong enough. Like, you and I, I know something about you. I know something about me. You and I are not strong enough to fight the things that we need to fight in our lives without the power of Christ. We're just not. Satan, if Satan is the strong man, then what is Jesus? He's even stronger, and we need him. We need each other. And Jesus is, is doing a new thing here, and his power is available to us, but we need to receive it, we need to know it, and we need to stop fighting on our own. This is a popular parable, and it has all these timeless truths, and a lot of you have heard this, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And Jesus is illustrating a couple different things here, and he's addressing this accusation like Satan wouldn't turn on himself. He's not, gonna, he's not gonna do that. Your argument doesn't even exist. But there's something new happening here. And this is, it's theologically rich when we truly read it. 
because it serves as a warning. But the family of God that Jesus is calling us into is where the power is because he is calling us close as a family. And as much as the world and Satan is trying to divide us, he's saying, no, 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 no. Come in. Come closer. Because you and I need, we need a strong spiritual family that operates with spiritual power. And that power is rooted in Christ. The desire of Satan is to divide us. It's to deceive us. And the power of of Jesus isn't of Satan, it's over Satan. But we need to know him and operate with his power. And this is what we have. We have this available to us. So this church... This church is filled with imperfect people, right? We're all, we're all messed up in, in different ways. Our world is broken, and you and I are broken. And so some of us are fighting anxiety and fear and addictions or trauma, um, extreme loss. I know so many families who have had so much loss. It's, it's unreal. It's like, how do you do that? You can't do that on your own. You need me. I need you. We need each other. This is the spiritual family here. And some of you are still operating alone on an island and not being a part of the faith community here. And if it's not here, it's somewhere else. But God is saying, hey, this is a part of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I just want to drop in your lap and say, you need a spiritual family. Here it is. But it's up to you. And will you be a part of the spiritual family wherever you land? We need that. I need that. We need the spiritual power of Jesus in our lives. So we started this and, it, and talked about Jesus' family and how they're like, man, is he out of his mind? Like, what is happening? And, and that kind of questioning in their mind. And then the religious leaders get mad again, as they often do, at what he's doing and how he's doing it and performing stuff on Sabbath and just all the things that he, he is reorienting and doing so differently. And so they accuse him and he gives this, this story, this parable to demonstrate you know, the, the story of the strong man. And then... The next few verses I want to read together because this is a, a theological thing we need to address because he gives them a stern warning. This is what he says in 28. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So this is what we commonly in the church world, a lot of us Christians who have been believers for a long time, we've heard this. This is what we know as the unpardonable sin or unforgivable sin. But the problem is a lot of us have misconceptions about this, fears about this. It's, it's scary stuff. Jesus is saying, like, if you cross this bridge, this has eternal implications for you. So I just want to warn you. But the misconceptions we commonly have is we think like if we, if we doubt our faith, then we can't be forgiven. That's not true. That's not true. We all go through seasons of doubt. Some of us think if we use the Lord's name in vain, don't do that. But the, it's not true if we use the Lord's name in vain or say certain things or sometimes we look at our lives and our sin and say, ah, you don't know what I've done, Scott. Actually, this sin is in the big sin category. And so... I'm, I'm probably, it's probably an unforgivable sin. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Not at all. He is saying, hey, you guys, you have seen me. You know who I am. I'm not just Jesus of Nazareth. I'm son of the living God. And because you've seen me, 
Now you're at the risk of completely rejecting me and having a hardening of heart that says, I am not Lord. That has eternal consequences for you. So he's giving them this warning, and it's a warning for all of us. This condition of the heart that says, I hear you. I see what, what the scriptures say about Jesus. He, you say he's the son of, the, uh, son of God, and I don't believe it. I reject him. That is, that is where we send ourselves in our faith journey. Jesus, God doesn't send us to eternal damnation. We send ourselves. We reject the person of Jesus Christ. So I just want to say, this is intense, right? Like all these verses are intense. I mean, we got uh, the devil, Beelzebul, the cat, and Satan, we have, we have the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. Welcome to church today, guys. Pancakes and intense theological scripture. Welcome, you're safe here. But capture, what, <laughs> capture what's happening here. Jesus starts with, with family and his own family, trying to like save them from the mob of people and the religious leaders going, we gotta do something about this guy. And so they're starting going around accusing him of being possessed by Satan. And he addresses them and gives them a parable, a story, an analogy, the parable of the strong man. And he gives them a stern, stern warning. And then he circles back to this, what it means to be a family. And this is where the next verses come in. Let's read it together. He says this. And his mother, this is 31, and his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. They're seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mothers and brothers? Who is my mother and brothers? And looking at, about at those who sat around, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, that's my brother, that's my mother, that's my sister. And you, when you read this, these are the moments where you're like, is he crazy? Like what, <laughs> like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, give me the clue, just be straightforward. But listen, don't miss what he's saying here. And, you know, the misconception here is like, like, is he telling me to reject my own family? Is he telling me to not love my family so much? He's not telling you that. Love your family. That's your first ministry, right? Be obsessed with caring for your family. Pray over your family. Love your family like crazy. He's not saying that. But he's upping the ante of what it means to be a spiritual family, and he is disrupting and even rewriting the definition of what family means. And this may be a crazy concept for you and I, but the people in the seats next to you and around you, this is your spiritual family. This church, the people at the church down, down the road, we are a spiritual family that, that the kingdom of God offers us. And he's saying, these are the people, it's us. We're a family, we're a spiritual family. When I got married, my wife and I grew up so differently. Her biological family was her spiritual family. They're all strong believers and brought her up to know who Jesus is. And I grew up so different. My mom died when I was three. My father went to prison the next year. He was in prison most of my childhood. So my grandparents took my sisters and I, and, and I'm, I became like the only believer in my family. And, but something amazing happened. He introduced me to my best friend, Matthew, and his dad, Mark. And then my other friend, James and Andrew and Paul, they're all biblical names, by the way. I don't know <laughs> what's happening here. Just realize that. 
And Beelzebub was there, but no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Well, he was there, but... But, but as I'm explaining to, you know, the one I want to marry, how I grew up, she's like, that's so sad. It literally, she's like, you have like a sad life, and I'm like, no. <laughs> but I'm painting the picture, and I'm saying, no, you don't get it. That's not sad. It's amazing. I have a spiritual family. The, those, if those guys were sitting in the front row, and you said, oh, is this your friend? That would be weird for me to call them my friend, because those are my brothers, I love them. Mark is my spiritual father. He's my dad. I talk to him every week. And I'm 42. That was from fifth grade to 42 years old. Like, I love these people. They are my family. They helped raise me. Mark taught me who Jesus was. You see the power of spiritual family forming. And you have that available to you if you want it. You will miss out and the power of the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus if you don't take advantage of the spiritual family he offers you and the spiritual power that he gives you through that family. It's such an amazing, an amazing thing. This is who we are. And if that's foreign to you, this is good news. Because a lot of us, I mean, whether you're male or female or wherever you're from, it's a lonely world coming out of this COVID stuff, right? It is so lonely, but God offers you a spiritual family. You know, this happy hour thing we do, it's fun. We want it to be fun. We play music and have food and burritos, of course, bacon today, good coffee. But you'll notice certain things happening if you're paying attention. You'll notice people praying for other people tucked away in a corner. You'll notice encouragement happening in conversations. You'll notice the youth talking about what they did in youth and, and young adults hanging out together and growing together, young professionals. You'll notice all these things and the family coming together. Outside just earlier, we had a family in our church who just lost their father and husband. And I'm like, I'm sitting there listening to that and I'm convicted and I need to stop and pray, and pray for them right now. So I said, can I pray for you? Like this is the power of a spiritual family. Allow us to be family to you. And I need to allow you to be family to me. What would that look like if we as a church just decided, like, we're no longer just going to be friends that we pass and say hi on a Sunday, but we're actually going to engage like a family would, right? And so to structure it, to make it clear, there's this element of spiritual family, which looks like the Sunday gathering. That look, looks like us. It also looks like small groups. We call them connect groups here. Soon you'll hear about our movement towards this, this model of a house church and coming together as, as little spiritual families that join together in, as a large spiritual family. And you'll notice the discipleship happening in one-on-ones and small groups. And then you'll notice the spiritual power coming through fellowship and prayer and even, dare I say, confession, or, uh, confession and repentance those are scary things, but it's a powerful thing when it happens between us as a spiritual family. All of these things are yours, and they're mine. And so that is the great challenge of our text today. That is the great challenge to you today. Is will you look at your life differently? Will you look at the church differently? Because you know, you've done it on your own for long enough. I've done it on my own for long enough, and it doesn't work, right? I truly, truly need you. I have people that I'm accountable to. 
You need people you're accountable to that you get encouraged by. We need to be a spiritual family together. The strong man is too strong for us. We can't do it. But we have Jesus who has conquered him. He's already done it. He has bound him. And he's plundering Satan's world one believer at a time. And as we come together as a spiritual family, we could live life with spiritual power together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, I just pray that this message matters. I pray that the, the text as we saw, see you in this scripture today, establish what it means to be a spiritual family. Father, may we, may we look at that and see, see our great opportunity there, our great challenge there, because I know this. I know that there are still people who are living on an island, who are so alone, and we have stuff. We have all this, all this stuff that we have to deal with. We have the sin that we have to deal with every day. We fail every day. We have our anxieties and our fears and just all the things we wrestle with day in and day out. But Father, may we look at what you have to offer through your spiritual family and the power you give us through it. That is the gospel message. The gospel message is Jesus came down to pay the penalty for our sin and to offer us a new world, a new life, a new kingdom, his kingdom, not ours. And we say yes, Father. We say yes to you. And Jesus, if there's someone here or someone online that doesn't know you, Father, I pray for that person right now that they might open those doors of their heart, maybe even for the first time, and say, okay, I give up. I tried running. I tried doing it on my own. I'm just going to lay it down and give it back to you. And so I give you my life. I receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And I give you my sin, I give you my struggles, I give you my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my want, my wandering. I give it to you all. Father, may this be a new season of life for us as a church. May we operate as the strongest spiritual family, living life together with your spiritual power. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.